When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome to the 1871 podcast. And tonight we have a very special guest. It's former Reading assistant manager, Colin Lee. So welcome to the 1871 podcast, Colin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, very well. Great to have you with us. We've also got Johnny Hunt as usual. Hello, Johnny. Evening. And I'd like to say returning... We've got Dylan Dylan Kerr, but he's not quite returned yet. He's still on a, he's still on his excursion in Libya. So you're still stuck in Libya, Dylan, aren't you? We finally about ten minutes ago, that's the phone just been going out. We finally confirmed that we've got a flight tomorrow to leave Benghazi, Libya, Istanbul to travel back to Johannesburg, where we will we will arrive on Thursday afternoon. So it's been absolutely an abortion of a trip. You know, we we flew from Joburg to Istanbul with no tickets from Istanbul to Benghazi because there's very limited flights because it's a sanctioned country. It's it's a former war-torn country. It's been an absolute nightmare. Um, the day of the game, from 9 o'clock um, in the morning till 1 o'clock, we were flying to Benghazi with only 11 players. Um, we... <laughs> We, we were running around like headless chickens in the airport looking for tickets because it was it was honestly it was a dis- it was a disaster. We landed we thought we were playing on Monday, and then we landed at four thirty Sunday afternoon, two and a half hour three hour flight to be taken to the stadium to play the game at seven o'clock. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, we lost the game four one. But about a minute before kickoff. I found out that we'd actually qualified for the quarterfinals because the teams below us, they drew, so they can't mathematically catch us. So I didn't tell the players, um, but I'll give, you, give them credit. After this, after the four days of hell from Joburg to Benghazi that we had, and, and, and I mean sleeping in airports on floors, and it's freezing, it's freezing here in, uh, in Istanbul and, and uh, uh, Libya, uh, we 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 really had a good game. We really played really well. Credit to the boys. They 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 didn't they didn't they didn't win the game, but they they gave it gave it the best they could, which is all you can ask for. 
Well, you said you said that it was going to take you when we spoke to you before you left for Libya. You said it was going to take you about twenty four hours to get there. It took you a lot longer than twenty four hours, didn't it? We spent twenty hours in the transit area of the airport, and it was like it was a big airport, but it was so cold. And obviously, we didn't pack for. Obviously, it's summer in South Africa, we didn't actually pack any warm clothing. But the worst thing is there was no restaurants, there was no coffee shops, there was no there was two vending machines that didn't take any money. And we 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 didn't have a ticket. We couldn't get out of it. We we didn't we had to eventually phone the South African African uh, ambassador of uh, Istanbul to come and get us into the airport accommodation. Yeah. But that took like twenty two hours. So you're not actually home yet, are you? You're still where are you now? Still in Benghazi, I'm still in Libya. Um, oh. It's been it's been an amazing experience, Colin. You won't believe it. All right, we're talking to Colin. Um, Colin, really, really pleased to have you with us. Um, you know, you alluded to it when we were chatting before the episode started. Um, what a fantastic team that was! What a what a great time to be a, a Reading fan. And I know that that Johnny agrees with me. And Dylan was part of that team, so I know Dylan's keen to talk to you, but. Just take us back to your kind of main memories of, of that time and that team that you put together, Colin. I think, you know, initially I, I joined Reading as a youth team coach. Um, I was youth team coach for about five days, I think. And uh, John Hazelden was actually coaching the first team. And um, I think Mark quickly recognised um, some of my ability on the training field and uh, uh, asked me to join the, the senior team. Uh, John was our physio anyway, and John took the, uh, uh, obviously the, uh, um, a step backwards in terms of coaching, although he still assisted us with warm-ups and stuff to start with. Um, <clears throat> and then we started to piece together um, a team um, not just compete in that league but to try and win that league um, it was a I mean Mark and I had a lot of a lot of meetings you know a lot of discussion uh, usually on a Thursday after training um, sometimes on a Wednesday morning early because uh, obviously the training sessions leading into games uh, the, the detail would start on a Thursday um, but Thursday afternoon, it was it was deep conversation in terms of uh, the team that we were going to put out and the players that we were trying to improve and identify new players. You know, so it was quite a long a long stretch of uh, um, can I say planning? You know, it was a lot of planning. Um, we we had. Obviously, Mark and myself had good contacts within the game, so that helped uh, with certain players. Uh, but we we watched. Uh, I mean, I can remember flying up to to Newcastle, watching a game, flying back and starting work the next day. Um, I can remember being on the motorway and almost falling asleep coming back from watching players. You know, I can remember the Jimmy Quinn. I was at West Ham one night and. Uh, Quinny came on as a substitute. Um, and I said to Mark, if ever he comes up on the market, we've got to get him right, you know. And he went to Bournemouth. That was a mistake, uh, which I think Jim admitted. 
and eventually we got him. But I, I've got loads of stories on loads of players. You know, um, you know Simon Osborne, who I know Dylan spoke to a few weeks back um, on the program. I went to Brentford. Uh, it was Roy Clare's testimonial, um, the physio there who I knew from Watford, and I went to support Roy in his testimonial. And I watched Crystal Palace playing Brentford, you know, and and uh, I saw this small midfield player who just stood out to me. You know, we were looking, Kevin Dillon was coming to uh, the end of his career, really, Kevin, who was a fantastic player for us. Uh, but we needed that midfield player. We've always had that midfield player who could control the game, if you like, you know, who we could play through. And uh, Simon Osborne fitted that to to an absolute T. You know, he was a great player, Simon, in, in his own way, you know. So there's loads of stories, but the team, the balance to the team was 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 what was the secret, I think, you know. And, uh, you know, we had pace in the right areas. We had um, aggression at the right time. You know, Phil Parkinson comes to mind. Um, and we had, for me, the key to everything we'd done was Darius Dovchek. You know, I mean, he was a, an unbelievable sign. And a game we 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 seen in a preseason game up in Scotland. He'd been relieved by Celtic, and we sat with um, with the Rangers assistant manager Mark New, and and this guy was shooting from corners with his left foot. You know, it was incredible. You know, and I said to Mark, "Who's that guy?" You know, and um, anyway, after the game. We stayed behind to speak to the agent and uh, Darius was invited down to play in a, a pre-season friendly, which he did. And I'd taken the team over to Leatherhead with Daley Thompson involved and uh, phoned back to say, how did Simon Osborne do and how did Darius Dovchek? He said, well, I've got Dovchek locked in, the, locked in my office at the moment and he's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, so... Colin, I just want to just want to ask you. Obviously, you could go through that that whole team, brilliant players, but I want to ask you what your first impression of Dylan Kerr was. Fucking hell, don't know. This is a this is a good that's a good question because I've never known. I never knew. Well, Dylan, Dylan, uh, as you know, um, had a fantastic left foot. Um, he he was sort of. Defensively, uh, it was something that we thought he needed to improve on. But we had a team that that were able to protect that as well, you know. And, and uh, so Dylan's ability really was his left foot. I mean, it, it was the balance to the team we needed. Um, playing behind Michael Jilks, I think it was. Um, Jilks, he had the pace. Jilks, he was still, in my opinion, we, we you know, my job really was to not just mow together the team, but also, in my opinion, my 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 belief as a coach is that to try and improve every player, you know? And if you can improve every player by a small percentage, then your team improves by a big percentage. And I think that, you know, I think we did that with Reading. You know, I think that every player, whether, they, whether they're already there or the players that arrived... Um, I think we improved them players. But going back to Dylan, Dylan was a good player going forward. There's absolutely no doubt about that, you know, and, and uh, 
I know his goal scoring record is not great because I had a look at it last night, but <laughs> <laughs> but he's there were he, bloody good ones. Sorry, there were good ones. Oh, they were great <laughs> ones. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you pick me to play right back at Plymouth. Well, yeah, <laughs> I can't remember that, but <laughs> but no, I think you know it is is is. And not just that, you also need players that are infectious, you know, and I'm not, Dylan will tell you, I'm not one for sort of saying things that I don't believe in, but Dylan was infectious, you know, and and he was, he was a a character in in the changing room, someone who, who was sort of a bubbly character. And it was something that, that helped the team, you know, it helped the the team in, in terms of just going out on the training field, you know, always bubbly, always, always talking, always, Sort of geeing people up and having a joke with them, and and I think it's really important to get that side of the of the team correct. You know, if you've got great team spirit, and and Dylan brought that team spirit with him, uh, with his personality, um, and I think for me that's a that's a big big plus to any team to to get that uh, balance correct. Yeah, D- Dylan, I want to obviously let you respond to that, but let, let me bring Johnny in. Uh, Johnny, what, what do you want to ask Colin? And then I think we'll let uh, Dylan and Colin have a, a, a little catch-up chat, I think, after that. Absolutely. No, I was going to say, Colin, was you know, <clears throat> Reading's best ever teams have had a great management team. You know, we've had Steve Coppel, Brian yeah. the assistants that they had. Did the job. What was it between you and Mark that was so special <laughs> that made it work? I think it, I think that it was the way in which I think an assistant manager has to be very very honest and very upfront. And Dylan will tell you that that's the type of person I am, you know. And if I didn't agree with something, then I don't agree with it. Um, I'd, I'd say the reasons why, and this is why Mark and I were locked in the Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening discussions quite often, picking the team, because if. Mark was talking about going one way and I didn't agree with it. I wouldn't agree with it. And yeah. I would give him the reasons why. And then when it went on quite late some evenings, uh, we would go and sleep on it. And then he'd come back and say, well, I'd like to go this way, but I agree with you on that way. And no one knew about this and no one would ever knew, know about it because if we went that way and it didn't work and we, ch- and we had to change it, we had to change it. You know, we had plan A, B, C, whatever, you know. But I think it was the... I've always said that the assistant manager shouldn't be a yes man. And I think Dylan will agree, I'm not a yes man, you know. And, and, oh, I, think, and I think that is really, really important in any relationship in terms of um, managing football teams. You know, I've, I've managed football teams and some of my assistant managers, I look back and think, shouldn't have, shouldn't have employed him. And I look at others and one in particular, and he was 100% correct and uh, he's still, well, he was my youth coach and he's still one of my best friends. Yeah. You know, and, and he was honest with me. He would go, Colin, no, I'm not, I don't think that's right or whatever, you know. And then I would make the final decision. Mark would make the final decision, but at least you were honest and upfront. And I think that's why it was successful. You know, I think that's why it was successful. Correct, isn't it? No, it worked. It worked. It, it, I'll, I'll, it did work. I mean, the, the, the the magic that they created in the dressing room, the 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 chemistry that they had, you know, it was it was like you know you you, you would have a laugh and joke with, with with the gaffer, but you would never have a laugh and joke with, with Colin because you know he was very methodical and he was very very, 
you know, precise in, in, and that's one of the, one of the key con- contents of my coaching is that the, the preciseness of what you do in training re- related to the game that you're playing. And, and now in them days, you're only playing one game a week, maybe the odd game midweek. Yes. You know, but, but what, what Colin did and, and what Mark did, they had this chemistry between them that they understand, they understood where we were as players. Um, but if we stepped out of line, if we did something wrong, you know, Mark would get angry, but you, you wouldn't look at Colin Lee in the, in the face. You would never look him eye to eye. I think Eddie Williams did once and didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't come off uh, the best of it. But, you know, but that, that was the beauty of it. It was like, I, I'm a newcomer at Elm Park. You, you, your first person you meet is, sorry, the first people you meet is the manager and the assistant manager. And I've always been a Colin Lee fan since a kid watching him play at Spurs. You know, you, you know, he, he remind me of one of my dad's uh, teammates in a pub Sunday pub football team called Spud Taylor. He scored goals for fun, and he played. He played with with that enthusiasm, as he said about me, with that infectious enthusiasm and energy as a striker. So, but when we were working and we we, we trained at a beautiful place, Coombe Park, oh. training facility, amazing. Just driving in there was 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 different class. But everything was everything was done correctly to the team that they picked, and like I said, we only worked, you know, really on a Wednesday, probably on Thursday and Friday with the with the starting eleven. But the competition was there, the 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 the, the, the battle to play in that team was there, and I think you did your own work very very well, Colin, because you signed a good team of players and a good squad of players. Yeah, and and. To be honest, Dylan, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of money either, you know. So, no. you know, if you take it all into account, you know, Phil Parkinson, I think, was fifteen grand or something, or thirty grand or something. And Parky, um, I can remember Parky coming along, and his brain was all about competitor, competitor, kick anything that moved, win the ball back, and, and that was it. And uh, many, well, I. Basically, cutting a long story short, I can remember, and I'll always remember this, he came up to me, I think we were playing Huddersfield away, and I think we already, we might have already won the league or we were, we were going to win the league anyway or whatever. And um, he said to me, can I have a word on, with you on my own? And I said, well, I thought, what, what does he want? Like, you know? So I went off and he said, can I just want to shake around and thank you for making me into more of a complete player. He said, because all I thought about was winning the ball and heading it and kicking it and kicking anything, you know, that move trying it. He said, but you slowed me down. You said, now you've got the ball. Now we've got to keep it. Now we've got to do this, you know? So, and he said to me, obviously we'd have an Osborne beside him and people like that who always wanted the ball, but Parky became a complete player, you know, a more complete player. Who understood that that yes, out of possession, you were you were really, really good. In possession, there's no good winning the ball and then giving it straight back to the, the opposition. You know, in possession, we now need to be players, you know. So they were like tigers, if you like, out of possession, and then they calmed down and became, you know, whatever in a in a in a more controlled manner. Um and I'll never forget that, you know, a player coming up to you and saying that is a great thing, you know. And and as I said just now, you know, if you can, as a coach, 
um, get recognised for improving every player in your team and, and your club in in, 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 in in a positive way, then really that is that is a big part of your job, you know. Um, well, like we, I've always said to the whenever I've done these podcasts, we're always you know with former players, former coaches. We we talk about that dressing room. You know, we had we had a way of playing, a system of playing. Yeah. We had, obviously, shackering goal was was just he, he just he just blossomed and grew. You know, you had before Andy Bernal came, you had Ray Ranson, you had Aidy Williams, Keith McPherson, Jeff Hopkins. Yeah. Before that came. You had myself, who didn't want to not play. I always wanted to play after yeah. racing four Leeds, although I did love my time at Leeds. You know, and then you had me and Jiltsy, you had uh, Ray Ranson and Scotty Taylor, you had Parky, Kevin Dillon, Tom Jones, um, then Ozzy came, uh, you had Queenie and Archie. Yeah, Mickey, we all Gooden, Mickey Gooden. Mickey Gooden as well, I think, wasn't it? Oh, I'm sorry, Jordy. Yeah, yeah. Mickey Gooden. Yeah. He's still playing now. But I mean, he was the energy. He was the he was the at his age. He was the energy. Yeah. Uh, and even he played a right back. He, yeah. He Jeff Hopkins would play a right back. You, you, you've got you've got you've got the right balance on the left, on the right. The two central defenders. You know, who, who would think that Keith McPherson, you know, the captain, would be the steady centre back? Yeah. He yeah. would everything in the air, and everybody complimented each other and. That's because of what we did in training. That's because, you know, as as a coach, you are, you go to different teams and you see different coaching methods and you see different uh, ways of coaching. But I said you were the coach. You were the one that put the sessions together. Yeah. And and that's that's what you know. I take on board now, even though I'm head coach, I still try and do the assistant coach bit really because I want to, you know, be in control. Even though I've got an assistant. Um, because it works and and, it, and it's successful and and we were successful. Yeah, I think I think you know the there was a lot of planning gone into that. You know, I used to do a lot of uh, pre-planning on on sessions mm. to to make you play. You know, you know we 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 would play from the back and we would play through the midfield, um, but we also knew that we had the speed and the energy in the wide areas and we had a. Uh, a combination two two strikers up front, um, one in particular, who if you got, got the ball in the right areas, uh, Jimmy Kim Jimmy Quinn would score goals, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, I don't know if you can remember Dylan, but I can remember because uh, Quinny was a bit of a um, a soaker at times, and I yeah. think I, I can remember putting together a finishing session which we called the Jimmy Quinn finishing session, where yeah. he always pulled off in between. So the ball yeah. were were arrowed in between, if you like, you know. Yeah. And uh, of course, Quinny walked off like ten feet tall because it was all around him. You know what I mean? But it was it was the way we played. It was playing to our strength, and our strength was getting the ball to Jimmy Quinn in the right areas in the eighteen yard box. And nine times out of ten, Jimmy Quinn would score. You know, Archie was he was a great finisher. What well, I think on the angle, you know, when you're. Yeah. You're outside of the, say, the far post or, or the near post, whichever side. He could always find that other corner, and and and, and I felt that he was a, he was a little bit of a, an unsung hero, really, in some yeah, way, you know, because he, 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 he sort of he came short and played, 
which is what a lot of the strikers do now. Um, so we were, we were, he was playing in between, if you like, in between the lines at times. Um, and as you know, if, if he came short, then someone like Mickey Gooden would go long, you know, and the option and the, the marking was very difficult. So, yeah. um, Jilksy, you get the ball to Jilksy, leave him on 1v1 and use his speed, you know. Um, his biggest problem, I think, when I, when I analysed him was consistency more than anything. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I had a question on that yesterday come through from someone. And I said, Michael Jukes was a really good player for us, you know, and t- take nothing away from him. But his, his consistency was something we worked on. And we, it's not always working on the football pitch with someone like that. Sometimes it's a mental, working mentally with him. You know, what's expected of you? You know, yeah, you're, you're creating goals. But when the ball's on the opposite side, we expect you to come in and score goals and stuff like mm. that, you know. So mentally, we work with Jokesy. He might not have recognised that at the time, but he was a great player for us. He balanced us, you know. And uh, when he went out of the team, it was difficult to to get that balance. Um, mm. um, but we then had to play a different way, you know, because sometimes we use someone with the right foot, like Mickey Gooden, who came in off the line and played into a striker and, you know, played off him, if you like, you know. So... Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I love working there. I mean, it was a, a fantastic period. Um, John Modeski, you know, has to take a lot of credit for it as well, you know, because John supported a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do. He never really interfered at all. Um, just let us get on with the job, you know. And uh, you know, I think that I think he enjoyed that period. Um, I can remember going to Blackpool. I don't know if you were there then when we absolutely hammered Blackpool. And um, it was we were we were actually um, cheered off the off the park by Blackpool fans. Excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me I scored that day. Oh, was that the goal you scored? I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> with, my, with my right foot. With my oh, right. right. Foot. <laughs> Colin, <laughs> um, Colin, I know. We got I know Dylan. I know Dylan's got loads more questions for you, but um, <laughs> I, I want to bring Johnny back in. But first, oh. before Johnny comes back in, um, I've got a question for you from a Reading fan. Um, Andrew Morris and what he wants to know is obviously we've talked about it on the podcast a lot so you had that fantastic Reading team and then you had Steve Copple's team Brian McDermott's team so Andrew Morris his question to you Colin is um, you, you talked there about the team that you produced but out of all of the successful Reading teams over the last kind of 30 years or so which do you think um, you know, who do you think produce Reading's best team and style of play? And you can say your team if you want, yours and Mark's team, but he's interested to know from your perspective what you think about what Reading went on to do and, you know, are they different teams or what What, what do you think about that? I think that, that um, to be honest, before I went to Reading, I didn't really follow Reading that much. You know, I've got to be honest with you. Um um, so I can, you know, I think that the team that we put together, um, and I know it, it's quite a, a, what can I say, a, 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 a sentence I'm going to say now, I think that team should have went to the Premier League, you know. Um, and I think in any in any team set up, um, I mean, I know the best team I played with at Chelsea. You know, and it had the right mixture. And I know people talk about mixtures and all that, but we had that at Reading when we 
develop that team. You know, um, Dylan mentioned Keith McPherson just now. You know, when Keith McPherson uh, came out of the team, Darius Dobchak went into the team, you know, and that was another balance to the team. You know, it was a... Um, so I think that... Um, I think that team that we put together um, had the capability of going to the very to the to the top league, and uh, it didn't happen. Um, it was sad it didn't happen. I understand that, um, and we can't reel back. But we can. I can honestly say that I think I think that team possibly is is the the team that had. Um, a tremendous balance, a great team spirit, um, a determination and a mentality of winning. And I think overall, I think that would probably be my choice, you know. And Johnny, your your thoughts come back in now because I know that um, Dylan's got loads more he wants to talk yeah. to Dylan about. So go on then. Colin, this is an interesting one. I, I hope you don't mind me asking. You talked about the mental side and the inconsistency there with Jilksy, but one of them I mentioned was Jamie Lambert. James Lambert. Yeah. Um, like he's probably one of our most skillful but frustrating players. What do you make like you had him with you there when he was a bit younger? Was he hard to work with? Was it just being young that he didn't go the way he should? Just I mean James Lambert had, had, I forgot about James Lambert to be honest. Yeah, he had great, great ability. Um but ability alone doesn't make you a football player. You know, yeah. um, I mean, when when I went to Wolves, we had a young player called uh, Robbie Keane. Who? <laughs> and Robbie Keane was 16 when he came into. Well, yeah. he, he was younger, but he at 16 he, he got he got into the first team squad. And Robbie Keane had a mentality like a like a 25 year old. You know. Um, yeah. uh, he had so much of belief in his own ability that it was it was I wouldn't say it was frightening, but it was it was fantastic to see, you know. And uh so I think James Lambert um possibly it's nothing to do with his ability, it was to do possibly with his application and his mentality. And mentality is massive in football, you know, uh if you lack slightly in an ability, you can make that up with determination, you know. And uh, I've always said that to players, uh, players who I've worked with. Um, and I work with a lot of young players down in this part of the world uh, for six years. Um, from under 13s downwards, I, I ran a school down here for Chelsea. And we try to educate them correctly um, and, and, and make them into... Um, into winners, really determined, determined to become a successful. Yeah. And I think if you if you've got that hundred percent commitment, if James Lambert had a Robbie Keane brain, if you like football brain, not so much football brain, but um, ambitious brain, if you like the the brain to want to really be successful, and James Lambert would have been, you know. Yeah. There's so many players who you could talk about, you know, and I've seen it throughout my career in football. I've seen players better than me at youth level um, not make it. Just like, just like, sorry, Carl, I'm like, Dylan's dying again. When you're, when you're looking at a player, as you did and you scouted all around, what was it? How much percentage is it football and how much is it the, the background stuff, the mentality 
that makes you go, yep, that's the fit for our club? Well, I think I think um, I think it's a little bit like a jigsaw. You know what will fit into it. I think in certain positions you're looking for for different uh, abilities. Um, but I think you know, I, I think when I look at a player and I'm looking at a certain position, I know what I want in that position. And if that player shows me enough, I think that once I get him into my club, I think that I can affect his mentality in a positive way. Yeah. Work with him on the training field, introduce perhaps different um, types of training that he's not really been used to, and and get him sort of actively uh, enjoying his training, but um, knowing that what we're doing is making him a better player, you know. And, and uh, so, yeah, you can see the 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 abilities you want and the balance you want. Um, and then you do your own work behind the scenes. You know, you speak to people and you find out, you know, whether he's whether he's got the right attitude, whether he's, you know, a, a good person to work with, whatever, you know. Um, we did that with, um, I mean, it's, I keep talking about Phil Parkinson, but Phil Parkinson, I mean, Dave Merrington, who had Phil at, at Southampton, and Dave is the person I spoke about earlier. He was my youth team coach and he's, he was the my assistant manager and the best I've ever had. And, uh, I found him about parking and said, like, you know, this boy Parkinson, like, he's he's going to be released or is he available? He said, yeah. He said, Colin, he'll break down a wall for you. And I said, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That'll do me. Yeah. He said he'll do anything you ask him to do. He's an unbelievable person, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, and I'd seen him play and I said, that'll do me. You know, that'll do me. You know. Um, I, think, I think as you're talking about parking, I think one of the things you must you should feel proud of, and I don't know if you know this, but knowing Parky since you know obviously since Reading and he's gone on to manage different yeah. clubs, I think you've became part of his makeup in his management style. I think your influence on him uh, in that short period of time at Reading uh, has influenced him into his managerial managerial career, and I know he's not had the best of uh, you know teams that he's. No. You know, being with him, obviously, he's left. But, you know, in, I can see in his character, in his characteristics when he's when I'm with him, when I'm back in England, when I meet him, you know, I can see a characteristic in him that I saw a characteristic in you. Mm. You know, and I think, I think, and, and we spoke about it before. You know, we, we always speak about it, whether I'm speaking to Shaka, whether I'm speaking to Ozzy yeah. or Jill or anybody. We always speak about, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, when, when you and Mark left, you know, we 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 talk. You speak about this jigsaw. It's I couldn't remember who was telling me about the jigsaw, and it was and you just you just reminded me now because this is what I tried to tell my chairman and my team when we when we selecting players and we're millions of African players here. Yeah. And you know you have to pick the right ones, but they the chairman here just signed willy nilly, and you've got to try and fit a round hole into a square round peg into a square hole. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But. One of the one of the compliments I think you know from from me when I see Parky when he's on the sideline when I'm in I'm in talking to him is is he's kind of look like look, looking at you you know if, if that makes <laughs> I mean I I, I uh, obviously followed most of their careers but Parky in particular you know the good thing about it Dylan is you know who Wrexham play the last game of the season talking talking yeah. And I, 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 I live in Torquay now, 
and I'm going to be phoning him up asking for a couple of tickets. So, <laughs> Colin, uh, I just, I just, I just want to ask you two questions, Dylan. I uh, just want to ask two questions to Colin, and then uh, come. Feel free to come back in. So, Colin, my first question to you is: When did you know for sure that you had a team that you said that team was capable of going up to the Premiership and? And it, you know, it nearly happened, finished second the, the following season after yeah. going up as champions. When did you know for sure that you'd got that balance right? Was it in pre-season? Was it some point during that season that you went up? When did you know? So that's my first question. And I've got one more and then I'm going to let, let Dylan have another go. <laughs> I don't think there was any any particular... I think probably when we got the, the, the first promotion, you know, you knew then... But you also knew that uh, getting promotion is not is not the finished job, you know, because obviously you've got to then try to introduce players that will fit in properly uh, and improve the team. And I think uh, we knew that that was what we had to work on immediately, you know. Um, but then, as you're as you're developing and as you're winning football matches, the confidence is is you know it rises. And every time you go out on the pitch, uh, we did this at Chelsea when I played, um, and obviously when we were managing Reading there, we were expected to win. We expected them to win, you know. And we we did a lot of homework on the teams we played against, um, but we we trained and prepared to beat those teams, you know. And I see football now and it drives me absolutely potty at times. Um, and I, I I don't think I could be a, a manager in, in today's game with people selecting players for you to coach and things like that. I don't think that would fit my my uh, my mentality really. You know, if I'm gonna manage a football team then I want I wanna bring in the players that I wanna coach, you know, and I Yeah. You know, but I think that I think possibly when we got that that promotion, and then we added to it, um, the confidence just stayed with them. You know, and yeah. uh, it's really I think it was then really that that it that it sort of started to fall into place. Yeah, and, and you said that you, you felt that Reading team was good enough to go up to the Premier League, and it came so close to happening. Yeah. Um, obviously, we'll want to talk to you. Colin, about um, when you left during that season, because one of the questions that that we'll never know the well, answer to is, would if if you and Mark had stayed, would Reading have gone up? I think that's one question that Reading fans from that time, like yeah. themselves, yeah, I understand that. But what um, talk through the circumstances because a lot of the Reading fans don't know actually what happened when when you left because you you kind of tried to stay, didn't you? I think I did. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I can't remember what day it was. I think it might have been a Wednesday or something. But um, I left the training ground, um, and we knew this was sort of something was bubbling in the air. But I left the training ground and uh, was was basically told we were staying. You know, so I just went home, um, and then the early that following morning I had this call to say that we're off and I went what do you mean we're off you know and it sort of happened in in like 
in, 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 in just a split second, really, in terms of the phone call, we're off, get yourself over here and blah, blah, blah. So I, took, I went wherever I went. I think I must have went to Reading. I can't remember now. Um, we had, uh, there was a car waiting to take us up to Leicester. So I, it was just sort of got, it was like, well, everything's been sorted. You know, the, the Leicester City chairman had, had spoken and blah, blah, blah. So we went up to Leicester City. Um, we then, I think the, 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 the contracts were more or less all ready. And, and, uh, but they got us to sign or got me to sign a pre-contract. And then I got a call from, uh, Reading Football Club from one of the directors, I think, who was a lawyer at that time, um, asking me if, um, I could come back down and talk to them about becoming the manager. And I said, well, yeah, I would like to do that. But I said, I signed a piece of paper and I think I knew it was a pre-contract uh, form. And he said, could you get a copy of that over to me? Um, and I think I did that. Um, and then he came back and said, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about it. You, you're actually now uh, signed for Leicester City. Now, what went on behind the scenes with the chairman of Leicester and John Medesi, I don't know. Whether anything did, I don't know. Um, so that is really what happened. And it was, uh, it was just, it, it was just like, like there was some sort of dream or nightmare, whatever you want to call it, going on, you know. And it would never happen today. Um, and really, it shouldn't have happened then. I must say that, you know, it's something that, um, and I'm not saying this because we're on on, on, on the Royals 1871, yeah. I'm not saying this, but it was some, it's something that stuck with me for, for, for the whole of my life, really, because it should have been done differently. You know, and it should have been the chairman that, that sorted it out between themselves. And if a deal couldn't be done, then it shouldn't have been done. Um, but I think that, that things went on behind the scenes, which I wasn't aware of. And um, I was Mark's second in command, if you like. I was his, his partner, if you like. And, and that's the way it was. I'm not blaming Mark. I'm just saying that this is exactly what happened, you know. Yeah. But Dylan, what was your recollection of that time when when Mark and Colin left, was it a big shock to the players? Yeah, we didn't. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we actually saw Mark or Colin. I don't think I actually saw him again. No. I don't think, well, I don't think I saw, they never, we never got the chance to say thank you. We never got the chance to say, this is the first time I've seen Colin since I left Reading, since he left Reading. Yeah. Honest. Uh, and I think it's right, Colin, I've not seen you since that day. And no, that's true. We, and, and, and that's where it's, that's where it's, it was wrong. And that's where it was sad. And, um, unfortunately, you can't turn back time. If you turn back time, yeah. it would never be done like that again. And, oh, uh, I'm happy, happy being in Libya on, on, the, on, a, on a podcast talking to my former assistant manager who did so much for me as a player, so much for Reading Football Club as a team, and, and like I say, inspired people to, to go on to become coaches and managers, which I am one of them. Yeah. You know, and it, like I say, it was all, it all happened so quick. And we, we actually, as players, thought that if, if one left, Colin would step in. If Mark left, Colin would be there. He, yeah. he would 
we all knew that we all knew who ran the show. We all knew who did the coaching. We all knew, you know, who, who did everything for the practical side, the theory side. Yes, uh, the gaffer used to do his. He used to play five sides on a Friday, which was brilliant. You know, with the banter, and it was always the last pick in the teams. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted him in his five side teams. Never get you know, the ball. But, but everything, everything. We we were just like. You know, it was just like wow. It just it just it just hits us like a you know hundred mile an hour train because we just, we just didn't know what was happening. We just we heard about it, and obviously a day later, the next thing we got Mickey Gooding, Jimmy Quinn, and Andy Williams uh, because Jeff Hopkins had turned the opportunity down to be the uh, part of the coaching administration uh, coaching team, and we it was just like you know we we got we got two teammates now. Being as managers, so it was like it was like a whirlwind forty-eight hours for us. Yeah, it was it was um, totally wrong. You know, I got to say that, and uh, I think that if I if I had the experience I had now, I have now, it wouldn't have happened. You know, but unfortunately, you, you're sort of. And again, I'm, I'm not blaming Mark. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that that was the way it happened. Um, could it have been done differently? Yes, 100%, you know, and, and should have been. Uh, but at the time, you're sort of, you just I got this call and that was it, you know, get, you know, more or less, we're off, you know, and, uh, and it was all right. People could say, well, you could have said, well, I'm not going, but I didn't know if I, if I didn't go, would I have stayed and still have my job, you know? So there's all sorts of things to, 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 to talk about, but, it happened. Um, it was totally the wrong way to do it. And um, I think that team, yeah, I think that team would have gone up. You know, there's no doubt about that. I think um, the team that played at Wembley, um, you know, it was very unlucky, but um, sometimes you've got to read a game when you're a coach, you know. Um, when you're on the side, um you're so important on the side and the best managers in the world react the quickest on the side because they've, they've got the brain that does that. You know, you look at, you look at the top teams now, you know, your man cities. I mean, that guy don't hang around, you know, the uh, Mourinho, he makes more substitutions, you know, he's, and these guys have got pre-planned in their head, you know, and they're not, not frightened to make decisions Sometimes the coaches on the side, the managers on the side are frightened to make decisions because if they get that wrong, they get the finger pointed at them. That's the wrong way to look at it, you know. You're there to You've make got, those decisions, you know. Yeah, but, and I'll, I'll give you, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> it's your childhood dream to play at Wembley Stadium and, you know, when the night before, obviously I didn't play in the, in the oh. semi-final, I decided to go with three at the back. Yeah. And especially David Lee playing right wing, they decided to go with Jilsey for his pace. Yeah. Um, which obviously, you know, you, you're upset and angry, but, you know, you, you have to accept it. And, you know, I remember, like you said, it, it was at half time. I'm, I'm on the bench. I'm on the yeah, bench. Yeah, I know also. you were, yeah. yeah. And I was up on the sidelines more than, you know, anybody. Yeah. You know, trying to get, trying to keep them, you know, uh, the atmosphere and the energy. But I remember at half time when Lee Nogan came off. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously Quinny was on the bench. Uh, I think once Lee Nogan came off, that gave Alan Stubbs and McAteer, uh, David Lee, and um, what was the striker? I forgot the striker's name now. Scottish guy. I think Oli Coyle. 
Oh, Coyle, yeah, yeah. So that 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 gave them the space and the, the opportunities because what Nogs did was stop Alan Stubbs. Yeah. And when Alan Stubbs, when Alan Stubbs came through marauding through that midfield, then we we got pulled apart. Yeah. You know, I, I think you were right there, and I saw that. You know, I saw that. Um, well, you know, I think that's what I'm saying, Dylan. You know, you've got to recognise that, and you've got to do something about it. You know, if you're a coach or a manager on the side, and and um, you know, if, if if you don't act as quick as you can on that, then you you're responsible for that. You know, yeah. and uh, you know, I've I've always said to you know, I've always planned two or three things. You know, if they get injured, we do this. If things ain't working, we'll do that. If they change their formation, we'll do this. You know, do you do you do you in that situation um, uh, match up? You know, you know it, it's. You, I don't. I think if you're getting ripped apart, there's a reason for it. You know, you know yeah. that. You know that you're a manager. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and and you're responsible for trying to help the players uh, by making substitutions or making making a change to the formation. You know, and Johnny, do you want to um, jump back in now? Because I'll let um, I'll let sort of Dylan have a. A, a bit more after this, and then uh, we we haven't got too too much longer, and yeah. I'll finish up with something. But Johnny, what do you want to yeah, ask? Connor, I don't know if you if you still follow what goes on at Reading. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. What do you make of of Paul Lintz and the current situation and his his way of managing and and you know you talk about substitutions and knowing what to do and how the team you know I know we're under a lot of different situations with the embargo, but what do you what do you make of it all? I mean, I think obviously Paul Ince, um sort of he 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 basically earned that position, didn't he? You know, in terms of getting the job. Um, I think that again, I don't really know how he manages. I see the results. I follow the results, obviously. Um, so I don't really see the team play. Um, but I think that you know, Paul Ince, I'd, I'd assume. Um, uh, has always been a winner as a player, and um, I'd assume that he he gets that over to the players. Um, I don't know how he he reacts to um, to the team going down one nil or whatever. I don't know because I don't see that. You know, I've not I've not yeah. been back to Reading and, and seen the team uh, play uh, since I left. I, that's, that's a lie. I have been back. I, I, I went back a couple of times and watched some games there, uh, watching players actually. Uh, but that was a long time ago. But um, so I don't really know. I don't know. I, I, you know, Paul, I see on the TV every so often, um, and he he comes over quite well. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I can't comment because I don't know his coaching methods. I don't know his 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 style. Um, so I can't really give you an honest answer on that, you know. Um, I, I think if, you know, when you when you go into a football club, you you, you you analyze your players straight away, and then you try to play to to their to their strengths. You know, you set out a, a team, uh, a formation, um, to try and win football matches. And sometimes you've got to. I think what happens now is that too many teams try to copy the best teams. And they haven't got the players to play that way. Yeah. You know, I watched the game the other evening. Um, well, I think it was the Fulham game, Manchester United, when they all got sent off. <laughs> and then uh, they went 2-1 down. 
Um, the goalkeeper's getting it in his hands and he's trying to throw it out still. Whereas they should have just gone four against four at the front. It's the FA Cup. You're going out of it. Four before, yeah. get a flick on, try and get someone in. All right, you might lose three or four one, but at least you've tried to win. You know, it's from like you said about game management, isn't it, Colin? Oh, it's ridiculous. You, you have know, a backup you plan and another backup plan. Colin, Colin throw it out with, with like eight players or whatever it was, you know what I mean? Yeah, Colin, just want Thank to... You. Just want to ask you, um, you, you mentioned that, you know, the, the way that you left Reading, you felt w- was was wrong. Yes. Do you, like, looking back even now, does that mean you regret that you did that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I regret I did it that way. Um, it prevented me um, discussing and having a, a chance of becoming Reading manager. Um uh, again, that would have been difficult uh, because, well, I'd say difficult, but, you know, the contract that they offered me at Leicester, which obviously I'd signed the pre-contract. Um, and then if I had become the manager of Reading, I would have wanted, uh, and I'll be honest, I would have wanted uh, some security in terms of length of contract. It, it, it's hypothetical, but that's what I would have wanted, you know. Because I wouldn't have come back and stayed on a six month contract or whatever, you know. So, um, so there would, there, there, there would have been a lot of discussion, but putting all that to one side, did I regret doing it the way it was done? 100% yes. Mm. Um, Dylan, I'm going to let you have the, the final question because we're coming towards the end now. So, uh, what else do you want to ask Colin? No, it's just like I say, it's, 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 it's absolutely an honour to, to be talking to him after so bloody long. And, you know, like I say, I, I can only thank him, you know, for, for giving me, you know, that inspiration to, you know, sometimes, you know, he's mentioned it, I've got this character and I've got this enthusiasm and energy. But sometimes you have to, you know, what as a coach, you have to be serious and you have to be nasty. And, and that's one of the things that Colin taught me to be because... Like I said earlier, you know, if, you, if, if, if Colin wanted to job and pick at you, you know, and he pointed that finger, you just sat there and put your head down and listen. You, did, you didn't look him in the eye, you know, because he, he didn't want to see a reaction. He didn't want to see a smirk. He just wanted he, But it, what he did, he, he got the best out of you and he got the best out of everybody. Mm. Um, uh, well, the one, uh, one question I wanted to ask him is, that, remember that, that incident with Quinny and Scotty Taylor? Yeah. You know, when Quinny... And, and yeah. we, you know, the the, the rumours were that they wanted Quinny gone. You know, they wanted, you know, they wanted to get Quinny out. But without Quinny, we would never have got promoted that year. I don't think. Now, that was a really difficult situation to deal with, to be honest. You know, when when your your prize asset, if you like, is yeah decided to stick his head into someone's face, one of the players, you know, on the training field. Um, which was a nasty reaction, something that, you know, um, it just had to be dealt with quietly and controlled. But you then got to analyse the... I'll tell you who who made that work for Mark and myself was Scotty Taylor. You know, because we, we we, we didn't just speak to Jimmy Quinn. Yeah. Obviously, we spoke to Scotty. And... Scotty understood why it happened, I think, because he's, you know what he was like. He was niggling away and taking a 
whatever <laughs> out of everyone, wasn't he? Like, you know? <laughs> and I think it was the wrong time for Quinny at that stage. Um, and he reacted, you know, and Scotty accepted that and accepted the the apology as such, didn't he? You know? Yeah. yeah. Now that made that made that situation so much easier, you know, because you could have suspended Quinny, you could have sacked him, you know. Um, so, but then you, and, and, and a lot of people have said, oh, if it had been someone else, that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, because I think, I think full credit has to go to Scott Taylor for that, really, because he took the pressure off Mark and myself um, in, a, in a huge decision-making situation. And he made the decision a lot easier. And I think it was proven that, you know, Jimmy Quinn was so important to us, you know. Um, I mean, he was uh, he was just a machine, a goal-scoring machine, you know. Um, yeah. And he suited, really... he suited us, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, because uh, we talked about the balance, you know, down the left-hand side, if Jilty turned out and come back, you put it in. You know, if, if down the other side it happened, you know, someone else would put it in. Um and Quinny scored scored from uh, goals that people created for him. You know, his mm-hmm. his percentage um, wasn't him creating goals like a Messi or something. You know, yeah. Quinny relied on the service. And the yeah. service that we gave Quinny was absolutely superb, you know. And, uh, you know, and I will say this to you as well. Thanks for the, for what you're saying about myself. But going back to the, the angry bits and all that, that's because I wanted you ought to be successful. You know, I, I didn't do it because I wanted to be some macho sort of idiot in the changing room. You know, I wanted it because I was a winner and I wanted everyone to win, you know. And if I had to say something, I said it because I, I wanted a reaction and a positive reaction. I think players respected that, you know. No, we did. We did. You know, Mark, Mark would, you know, I, I can remember many times in the changing room and it was it was a little bit like a um, sort of a... <laughs> Like, like two faces, really, in terms of Mark would come and go, look, lads, we're not doing so much. You know, we're doing this, you know. And I go, <laughs> <laughs> and And, and uh, even when we were, like, second or top of the league or whatever, it was the same reaction. It didn't matter. Yeah. Because yeah. if you weren't doing what you were capable of doing, someone had to tell you. And, yeah. Uh, and that was me, you know. And, yeah. And, uh, and that's why... That's, we have, that's the respect that we had for you. That's like we said. We, 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 I think we all expected that when, when Mark left, you were just going to jump right, right in there. But obviously we knew your affiliation to him uh, you know, and, and, and the good stuff you'd done. You deserve, you de- wherever you'd have gone, it wouldn't have mattered. You, you deserved it because of the yeah. football that you I mean, I, I mean, my, my biggest love in football was coaching, and it, and it still is. You know? I mean, I've been a manager... I didn't enjoy being a manager as much as I enjoyed being a, 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 a second-in-command coach, you know, who was given the responsibility. And this is where I, I'd like to thank Mark. You know, you gave, he gave me the whole responsibility of, of setting out his team. And because I said to him, um, not long after I, I started coaching his, um, right back in the beginning, I said to him, well, t- you've got to tell me how you want your team to play, and I will make sure that that will happen on the training field. If you want to go back to front, I'll have to put on different training sessions. Mm. You know, I've seen coaches. I go to. I used to go to hundreds and thousands of coaching sessions and watch these coaches coaching one twos, all this that, and go and watch them play on a Saturday. And the bloody ball would go from back to front. 
I said, yeah. why are you coaching that, you know? And it's pathetic, you know? How can a coach coach that in the week and then set their team out to go back to front and shout on the side, miss the midfield out, you know? And Oh, no, no. Drives <laughs> I'll, me I'll tell you what, Colin, and, and I think you'll agree with this, Dylan. We It's been fantastic to get your take on your time at Reading. Mm. We'd also, if I don't know if you're still in touch with Mark, but we'd also love to hear it from Mark's point of view as well. So if that's a possibility, that'd be fantastic. I don't know if you're still in touch with him, but um, if we can get Mark on as well. that No, Mark, Mark, Mark uh, it's another sad one. You know, uh, when Mark uh, left Wolves, um, we... It was it was ironic actually, um, and this was where it was slightly different, well, a lot different to Reading. When when Mark was told that he was leaving Wolves by the chairman, um, I wasn't I wasn't told that I was leaving. So we I can remember it clear as today because uh, Mark and I are very very close, you know, friends and family, everything. And um, I said, Mark, I don't know what to do here. And he said, "Well, uh, what have they said?" I said, "Well, they've not said anything. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not sacking me." I said, "And I can't afford to just pack my job in, you know." And he said, "No, I understand that." So we went into his office. We got two black bean bags, stuck all this stuff in there. Then I went back to his house, um, uh, met his wife. Uh, his wife and the family were there, and we sat for must have been a, a couple of hours talking about it. And I said, like, you know, I, I don't know what to do, Mark. And he said, well, if they offer you the job, you know, that's up to you. Like, it's entirely up to you. I said, well, I can't just turn that down and I can't afford not to have a salary coming in, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, that's fine. He said, no, no problem at all. I said, fine. So I went in the next day and they said, oh, we'd like you to take over the team. Of course, we went, so we took over the team. Um, I couldn't believe it. We were playing Bristol City away. I took the team down to Bristol City away and we won 6-0. And I I went in afterwards and said, look, that result's not me. That's that's the lads for Mark, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I got so engrossed in the, in the, um, in the job there that two months later, the secretary said to me, have you spoken to, to, to Mark? I said, no, I haven't. I said, I've been so, like, like streamlined looking, you know, what, like trying to improve the team, do this, whatever. He said, oh, I think you ought to give him a ring because um, he'd had an experience at West Ham when uh, Harry Redknapp and Billy Bonds did this, the same thing happened and they fell out. So I phoned Mark and Jackie, his wife, answered the phone and, um, and Mark wouldn't speak to me. And uh, I've never really spoken to him since, other than when we took uh, Wolves, I think it was Wolves, or one of the teams I managed down to Millwall when Mark was Millwall manager. And we just said hello in, in, in not in passing, but in the corridor, you know, and and it was well, sad, you know. Yeah, geez. Wow. Really sad, you know, and uh, I've got no nothing to hide, you know. People were taught, I know that there were a couple of, the youth team coach and that talking behind my back is implying that I'd I'd gone behind Mark's back. Well, Dylan, no. you one million percent that no. has never ever in a million years happened. No. You know? no. And um, from, but I've learned in 
because I've got the sack in management a few times, and I think uh, what you what you tend to do in the early stages. So the first time you get sacked, you try to you try to blame other people, mm. and really you should analyse yourself. And I think this was the first time Mark had got the sack. I did the same when I got the sack. I started to say, well, was it him or whatever? No, I was the manager. You know, I had the, 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 I could change things. I could change this and do that if I wanted to. Um, and that comes with experience. And sometimes when you, when you get the sack, you're, you're, you're younger and you've not got that experience. Um, so I think, I think maybe, um, you, you look to, uh, blame other people and, uh, and I've only picked that up since, you know, I, I've experienced getting the sack here, there and everywhere, you know. So, yeah. Colin, thanks ever so much for that. I certainly didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that's yeah. Thanks ever so much for your, for your time, Colin. It's been brilliant to, to have you on. No problem. I appreciate you, you coming on. And, and perhaps you'll uh, you'll actually meet up with Dylan at, at some point after all yeah, if he can if he can get three tickets down to Torquay, he can come and stay with me. Let's all, let's all go down though. Let's all meet up down there. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.